the, the one thing that I got asked about um, during the week, and I didn't get a lot of questions this week. If you have questions, f- please feel free to email me, text me, whatever, um, and I'll do my best to help you. But the, but the, the only thing that I ran into of questioning uh, this past week was that three-section paper. And so I, I, I understand that it makes sense in my head when I'm saying it because I know what I'm thinking. But everything that makes sense in my head, I may not be saying, and I may not be saying it clearly. Um, that's, that is a speaker's uh, uh, problem sometimes. And so uh, I am a person who speaks and, and read off of people and their reactions and responses and uh, so that's why I ask for amens a lot, because I want to know that you're understanding and you're kind of with me. And so if I see a puzzled look, I'll stop and ask, are you getting that? Because um, I want to make sure you're getting it. And it was not that you didn't understand maybe how to do that or whatever, but what did I want you to do with it? So let me just say it, and then I'm going to have an unsolicited, solicited testimonial uh, for you. Um, and And... At the beginning, it was Psalms at the top, Proverbs in the middle, and the bottom. Can you can make it anything you want. You can make a, you can write out a prayer from the top two. You can write out prayer requests. You can read some other part of the Bible. It's really your box to kind of how you want to communicate with God. But if you remember, I described at the top, and we will open tonight looking at another Psalm, um, because tonight we're going to start about praying in Christ's name, and actually this will go into next week. It'll be. Uh, and then, and then we'll start practicing what we're learning about that. Um, hopefully we'll practice that some tonight. But, um, in there you write, you ask yourself the question while you're reading, what kind of God would say this? What kind of God would do this? What kind of God would require this? What kind of God would think this? Just, you're asking, you're, you're, you're trying to read God's personality based on what he said, in a sense. Um, in fact, uh, your homework was Psalm 103 and Psalm 145. Um, and that was another question I got asked. And you could do that any way you wanted. Um, my intention was one day you take Psalm 103 and one day you take Psalm 145 and do it. And then do whatever you want the other three days. Um, which makes it more confusing for you, I know. But someone told me that they just took it and, and broke it down and, and did sections of those each day, which is also, hey, that was a great idea. I didn't think of that. Wasn't my intention. That's why I didn't think of it. But it was a great idea. So you could do that if you want, or you can do more or less. And if you do what I'm asking about that psalm, you run to the problem of it becomes so much. You will get so much out of it. So as long as you want to pray, you can... You can get stuff out of the Psalms. But I think the breakdown comes is because I did then what I just did now. I stopped the flow of thought to say something outside of that flow. You're writing down things about God. So look at Psalm 103 with me. Just turn there real fast. And we'll just look at verse 1 just to make it clear. What do you learn about who God is in verse 1 of Psalm 103? He's holy. What else? He is Lord. What else? I'm sorry? He forgives. That's in Psalm, that's in verse one. Where is that in verse one? Just tell me, because I may be missing it. God does forgive, but verse one of Psalm 103. 
What else do we learn about God in verse 1? It's, it's fine. God does forgive. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And just write it down. If that, if that pops in your mind, put it down. That's great. But say, what about the blessing? Yeah, we're blessing the Lord. Notice that. Number one, he's worthy to be blessed. Number two, he's given us the opportunity to do something for him. Right? It, it, that's a good thing to do for somebody in your life that uh, especially that is important and more, maybe has a higher position. What else do you learn about God? Thank you. So we have, we at least, there's a soul and there's something else in there. And with all of that, we can worship God. So you've learned a lot about God. All right. So I just wanted to dig a little deeper to let you see that there's plenty there. And I mean, there's what, 30, what, two verses uh, in that Psalm or 22 verses. Can't see. 22. So, and each verse is rich like that. Psalm 145, same way. Those are very, um, uh, very target rich Psalms. So what I want you to do in that third box or beyond because Proverbs, you're just after a time, you could stop right there actually at, at the Psalms or you can do it at the end. And you, re, you turn that back to prayer and worship to God. Okay? And you, you just tell God what he just told you. Now, I'm going to bring the testimony up because it illustrates it well. So I'm not going to say anything more about it. But I, I asked Janice to do this. I'll leave this right there for you if you want to use it. I'll hold it if you want. You got it? Okay. Hey, y'all. <laughs> How are y'all doing? We were just in South Carolina. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so Monday and Tuesday, uh, Stuart and I, we have some time where in the mornings we just have our quiet time together. And then we have some time where we're apart. And so I was in Psalm 33, if you would like to turn there. And on Monday, I was in Psalm 33, 1 through 11. And then on Tuesday, I was in Psalm 33, 12 through 22. And after I wrote what I was going to write from the psalm, I sort of prayed it back to God, and I was in front of Stuart as well. And he said... After you finished. Yeah, after I finished, he said, um, I want you to think about this, because we try to be very careful when we're being critical of each other. <laughs> uh, he said, I want you to think about this. He said, make it less about you and make it more about God. So I'll read to you what I put on Monday and then how I started changing that a little bit. I'm not going to read the psalm because you can read it there for you yourself. On Monday I put, having God in my life should make me joyful. God gives me righteousness through Christ. God gives me music and he wants me to use it for him. God wants us to sing a new song. He's God is faithful, just, and righteous. God has steadfast love and he is powerful. By his word, he created all things, and God deserves our all, and all nations are under his command. God's plans stand forever. So as I went back and read it, I started noticing the word me. I said, God has given my life. He should make me feel joyful. God gives me righteousness. God gives me music, and he wants me to use it. And I realized my prayers were very self-centered. And so I started looking at the psalm. And I consciously try not to use the word I or me in it. So I went on to Psalm 33, 12 through 22. 
It says, God, you are God of all nations. You love us and you chose us. God, you give good gifts and you give us a heritage. God, you call us your children. God, you live high above us, but you see us. You know us and still call us your children. God, you're enthroned and you created us. You fashioned our hearts and you know our deeds and our motives. God, you save us, not our own strength. You rule the nations. There's only one security in this world, and that is you, Lord. You rescue, Lord. You know when and where, and I can trust you. God, your sight is on me, for I fear you. You are wonderfully, you are worthy of our faith, and you will deliver my soul from death. Lord, you are able. You are, um, sorry. You're the one who helps. You're our shield, and you made my heart glad. You have never failed, and you are worthy of trust. Your holy name is worthy of trust. Your steadfast love is on me, and you give us hope. So as I begin to do that through the week, I try, I'm try. i trying to stop using the word I am me, just so that my prayers are more focused on who God is. Um, I don't know if that helps you any, but that's what Thank you. I've been working on. Amen. And I asked her to share that for a couple of reasons. One, because... She listened. It wasn't criticism. It was uh, critiquing, yes. Uh, just trying to help. And uh, and then secondly, because she received it. And thirdly, I figured if she told you that and you knew that I had offered her help, you wouldn't feel bad if I offered you help, okay? So uh, I, uh, so anyway, so just that, I thought it was just a tremendous thing because I heard her praying and uh, and I said, hey, you know, that was great. It's fine. It's perfect. <laughs> you talking to God, that's between you and God. But I just said, think about this. And, and she did. And, and wow, it, it just really changed it. So um, we don't have a lot of time because I'm, I'm literally cramming two hours into an hour and a half. And and uh, and and right now this is not supposed to be all part of that, but it's OK. Um, I just want to keep my word and let you out on time. But um did anybody have like a wow moment this week? And it'd be super wow, but just like never done that before. Wow, it changed this. This helped me in this way or that way out of the homework or some other text because that wasn't our homework passages she was talking about. That was something else. So does anybody want to share? I've got a mic. You're going to have to talk to the mic. Okay, go ahead, my brother. For years, Robbie and I have been using acts as our way of praying and, uh, Usually I rush through the adoration part and get to the, you know, God I need. This week was turned around. I spent more time praising God for what he has done and less time asking for things. And Amen. that's the change that I noticed this week. Wow. Thank you. That, that's great. And when he said acts praying, what he means is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which stands for worship God, confess your sin, thank him for who he is, what he's done, all that. And then tell him what it is you want. And here's the deal, and you'll hear me say something along these lines a lot over these weeks, and it'll be in your notes. The more you worship God, the less you'll ask him for stuff, because the more you'll know him and the more you realize he already knows anyway. And when you get to your confession part, you realize he already knew that too. And uh, you're just like, wow. And you're, you're, you're seeing yourself so much more, and you're going to God, and you're grateful for what he's done, and that, that leads to more thanksgiving. And so your adoration will grow, and as your adoration grows, your confession and thanksgiving will grow, and your supplications, not that you have less, but you just, because next week I will tell you this phrase, um, asking God for things is not begging. We don't have to beg. 
And so that's, I might even say that tonight again, later. So, um, so just keep that in mind. But so we bring our supplications and for me, and it's just me, you can have a different attitude. You, I, I won't speak in absolutes because a, a lot of prayer is very personal. You need to personalize it. But what, I, what I've learned is that, that God already knows. And so I can just tell him and I can leave it there and walk away. He's got it. And, and I can, it's a, it's just a different thing. So, um, I hope that'll be true of you. Thank you for sharing, my brother. Thank you, my sister, um, whom I happen to be married to. Um, so I appreciate that very much. Okay. I'm going to turn that off. I want to, I want to jump on this. Hopefully your Bibles are open. Janice got you looking in there. Look at, and I did too, Psalm 8. Let's just look there real quickly for a second. Psalm 8 is a psalm of, of, uh, great worship. Great praise and talks about who uh, who God is and, and what he's done. And tonight we're going to be talking about praying in Christ's name. And so just let's pause for a moment and look look at this. This is a great psalm when, you, when you're when you doing that three-section page. And I hope you are doing that. Hope you all got a journal. Um, is is uh, Aislinn in here tonight? Hey, girl, um, wave at me, baby. Okay, she's eight. She has a journal. She does this. She does that three-section page and everything in her journal. So um, if you come up with excuses, I'm going to... Well, here's mine. I didn't draw the lines on it, but I, I, I just keep this, and this is what I write. Ooh, that's a good spiritual thought, notes, whatever. So, um, but, you know, you can get one of these... <laughs> Um, you can get a bunch of old envelopes and use it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just, you know, uh, but writing it down, it, it disciplines you to actually think it through. That That's the big deal. Because you don't have to have that. I mean, in an emergency, somebody calls on you to pray. I used to do this a lot. And going back over this has, has convicted me that I don't do it. But just on, in a group, somebody says, would you lead us in prayer? I, first thing I used to do is reach out and grab my Bible. Because it was never further than that from me. Now we have them on our phone. And then I would just open and what, what you're asking me to pray about, I find a, I'd, I'd try to find a psalm that kind of fit that. And then I would, I would start the prayer by adoring God for who he is. And look at Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. Now I want you to notice, um, if you've got a contemporary, uh, almost every translation should do this. King James started doing it. And that is, the first Lord is in what, what case letters? All capital. What's the second one? Second Lord. First letter only. So it's a title. So Yahweh, our Lord, our Adonai. So it's Yahweh, our Adonai. So it's naming who God is and then giving him the title of boss. Okay? Yahweh. You're the Lord. You are the boss. You're the, you're the, you're the big one. All right. Oh, God of, oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the, I was, I, page switch. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So again, that's just pure, that's just pure God. That, that don't do anything for me except should make me tremble. Right? That's, you know, God is, he is everything. He's the boss. He is, there's no competition there. You have set your glory above the heavens. 
Um, I, I was uh, listening to a song this week. I made Janice listen to it in the car, I think. Um, and it, it was by Rich Mullins, and it's about him uh, saying how he wanted to die. Um, and uh, it's called Elijah, and it says, When I leave, I want to go out like Elijah. I want a whirlwind to fuel my chariot of fire. And he says, And when I look back on the stars, it's going to look like a candle in Central Park. And I thought about that when I look back on the stars. Your name is, your glory is above the heavens. Think about that. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. In other words, we'll never be big shots with God. We'll always be children in his sight. But his point is, I don't need you, but you need me. When I look, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fing- the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? We, we, just his creation. Man, we were coming back home and, and uh, we, we were coming up through North Carolina and we got to Yad, uh, um, the Yadkin Valley or Yad, around that place in North Carolina. I looked at Janice and I said, this is where Daniel Boone's wife came from um, in, that, in that area. I think I was right. I'm, I'm saying it now. I was right where we were. If I think that's the right place. And we started looking at the mountains in the, in the distance and we were going, there they are, you know. And I, I just started saying, man, just think, Daniel Boone used to live here and he... He walked that way up through the gap and went to Kentucky and all this stuff. And we came over that first set and we're looking off at the mountains up here and, and, and just how beautiful they are. And Jess started saying, you think those are the mountains there and uh, by Waynesboro? You know, like we're on this side looking at them. And when I go to school, I'm on the other side. And I, I don't know, but yeah, probably. And, and uh, man, we got here and we were coming around 262 and looking at the, how bright they were. And she went, welcome home. I mean, it was just so awesome, his creation. We just love the mountains and seeing them. And, and you're going, what are you talking about? That's just little mountains here on the earth. He's on about moons and stars and planets and galaxies. Who are we? You know, the mountains are big enough for me. But the psalmist here is, is going beyond that, saying, well, who is man that you were mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion and the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I read through that just then, did you get the sense that we weren't talking about us anymore? Who is who that man made a little lower than the angels, but in charge of everything? Yeah. Are are we are you identified with Jesus is the question. Are you one of his? Do you belong to him? And if you do, then you should be identified with him in two ways, in death and in life. You should have died with him and you should live with him. And so now, since you're identified with Christ, and we're going to get into praying in Christ's name. So turn over to Hebrews. Praying in Christ's name is, as I said, it's not magic words. It's placing yourself in a certain position. Look at Hebrews 2 
And uh, last week I had you guys read a lot. Go ahead and click over to the next uh, slide, my brother. Um, I had y'all read a lot. I'm not going to ask you to read as much tonight for two reasons. Again, I, I do have reasons for my madness, in case you're wondering. One is it just would take more time. And secondly, nobody could hear it. So on the, um, uh, wow, there shouldn't be any words on there already, but that's okay. It's fine. Um, <coughs> beg your pardon. Um, this is a, a, a kind of a, a chart that shows us who Christ is and then who we are. And so originally man was in charge of all, wasn't he? What did God say to Adam in the garden? What was Adam supposed to do? Let's just put it that way. What was Adam supposed to do? He was was supposed to take charge. He was supposed to have dominion over all the birds, the animals and everything else. He was supposed to take care of this planet, control, you know, all of those things. Now, what did Adam do? Yeah, he he messed it up. He gave it up. He failed. He fell. So man turned that dominion over to the enemy, basically. So in Hebrews chapter 2 and beginning in verse 6, and I'll read it just again so it'll be on the recording. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Oh, didn't we just read that? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little while lower than the angels. Now notice the language changes in the New Testament interpretation of that Old Testament passage. For a little while you made him lower than the angels. It's not just speaking about us, it's speaking about Christ. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And now it goes on. Now in putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Did you catch that? I mean right now do we see the world obeying Christ? No absolutely not. But we see him. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, uh, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So physically, they saw Christ. They knew that he was the Son of God. He suffered and died for us. And so we can behold him, Christ, going through that for us. And then look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom, All things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. 
and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So what we're seeing here, and and, uh, you have an outline of that chart, in that first block, originally, man was in charge of everything. That's what that first block says. It's kind of hard to read. I, I understand. Sorry about that. Originally, man was in charge of everything. So that's what you write down in that first block. The second block, you just write the text, Hebrews 2, 6 through 18. Um, and I read, only read through 16, so let me finish it up. Sorry about that. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this passage is a painting of Jesus' life on earth and the purpose behind it. Why did he come, born of a virgin, and live that life? Well, Hebrews 2, 6-18 explains that. And it says that Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor, that angels are under him, subjected to him, and that's the word angels there. And in his incarnation, he put on flesh so that he could suffer by being tempted like we are, but he did not sin. Now, I I keep jumping back and forth in, in my mind. I'm trying to Say it, go back, say it, go back and say it. So let me warn you, I'm jumping back now to Adam. Adam in the garden was tempted three ways. You've heard me say this before if you come to the sermons on Sunday morning. Adam was tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, this food, that food would taste good. Lust of the eyes, that says right there in Genesis, you can read it. He saw that it looked good and it looked like it would be really good to eat. And the pride of life. And he thought that if he ate it, he would know good from evil. God told him not to eat it. Period. All those things that he saw were true. It was pretty. It would fill him up. It would taste good. It would make him know good from evil. And he sinned. Instead of listening to God, he sinned. Jesus had the same three temptations in the wilderness. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh. He had not eaten in 40 days. The devil comes up and says, if you be the son of God, command those stones to be turned into bread. Now, if, if you fast for 40 days and you have the power to turn stones to bread, and somebody puts that suggestion in your mind, have you ever been walking along and all of a sudden you had a thought like, hey, you could do that? You ever wonder where that came from? Lust of the flesh. Satan drops that. And Jesus said, it's written. And he gave him scripture. Man shall, not, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word it comes from the mouth of God. And God didn't tell me to turn him into bread, so I'm not going to turn him into bread. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Took him up on a mountain and said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them back to you because when Adam fell, Satan took over. He is the Lord of this world. He's God of this world. Adam was supposed to be, but Adam failed. Jesus, he says, look at all that. I'll just give it to you. I'll quit fighting. If you'll bow down and worship me. And he said, scripture says the Lord, you shall worship only the Lord God to put anything in front of him. Answered him with scripture. Satan took him on top of the pinnacle of the temple. The pride of life. Hey, jump off. And you'll just float down because angels will grab you. Because it says in Psalms that 
He's going to give angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against stone. So just jump off and come floating down. That was a misinterpretation of Scripture. And Jesus said, you lose. Not going to do it. I'm going to take the stairs and come back down. He would not do it. He answered with Scripture about uh, glorifying God, not taking that credit and all of that. So the, the same three temptations that Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Many times when we read that he was tempted all the ways like we are, yet without sin, we think every little detail of sin. But you can't name any sin that doesn't fit into those three categories. Either something you see and want, either something you, uh, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, something that looks good, like, hmm, or the pride of life. You get puffed up, your attitude gets wrong, whatever. So Jesus succeeded. Now, what is... When you think of the word Adam, the name Adam, and sorry, Adam, who is here. We're not picking on you, buddy. Um, what, what is Jesus called in relation to the word Adam? Everybody always says that, and that's not true. It's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. In Corinthians, it calls him the last Adam. And here's why. The second Adam was Cain. The third Adam was Abel. Fourth Adam was Seth, as far as we know. And there was a bunch more, and they were having kids pretty quick. You know, every nine months probably. And then they started having kids, and they started having kids. Don't We won't get into all that right now. But trust me in this. Because when Cain was born, see, Adam, and actually, I'll, you'll have a drawing of this later in the week, or later on in this too. But Adam was born, he was, um, or created, he was fine. And then he sinned and he was broken. And so this just symbolized him being broken. Then he had a little boy look just like him, broken. Who had a little boy look just like him, broken. Who had another little boy look just like him, broken. Why are you saying boy? It can be a girl, y'all look broken too. But I'm picking on the guys because it is through Adam. And so a man had to redeem us as well. And Adam, now I'm going to give you a little bit of theological legal jargon now. Adam is not only the head of the human race physically, he is the titular head of the human race, which meant he was given authority over the earth, and he abdicated that when he sinned. He gave it up, and whatever he decided, he decided for the entire human race. That was his position, and he blew it. So the only one worthy to fix it would be God, and God had to go through the same test in order to fix it. I'm just using human language. Let's not get too much into the details of what I'm saying. Uh, other than understand the concept. So Jesus put on flesh. Incarnation. And he lived among us. But Jesus was born. It says in the likeness of human flesh. Right? So when he was born. Did he look different than any other man that was born? No. Spiritually was he broken? Because. His daddy wasn't Adam, his daddy was God. You say, well, I thought he was the son of David. He was, so was Mary. She was the daughter of David. So he was physically in the line of David as well as legally in the line of David through Joseph. So Joseph would have been king, and you see that in Matthew and you see that in Luke, the two genealogies, one leading from Mary, one leading from Joseph. And I'm going through a lot of detail to bring you to just a small, fine point of understanding, and so as the second, as the last Adam, not the second Adam, see, I did it. The last Adam, he was the titular head of all who would be born after him. And Colossians calls him the first fruit of many brethren, the first one, 
The, and, and that word is the progenitor. It does not mean one in order. It means the one from whom all things flow. Just as from Adam flowed sin into the human race, read Romans 5, so from Christ, righteousness flows into this new order of Jesus' people, of Christians. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you've got to be born from above. He goes, I'm going to be born again. I can't go back to my mom's womb and be born a second time. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You've got to be, you've got to be born of the Spirit. Not just water. Your mom is water broken. You were born. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit... And so we read in Romans 6, we die with Christ, that we are raised with Christ. So what I was in Adam, I was born July 21st, 1959, at 5.18 in the morning, weighing 8 pounds, 15 ounces, crying when I came out and hungry too. In June of 1968, I was born in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I was born again. I was 8 years old. And I was a new creature in Christ. And so now I'm no longer in the order of Adam. I'm in the order of Christ. That's very important if we're going to pray in Jesus' name. As the seven sons of Sceva found out later. So man is redeemed. We have redeemed man and we share in his glory. Let me reread verses 10 and 11 and then we'll move forward. For it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should, be, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus' source was the Father and now our source is the Father. We're going to get very specific about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We won't say God as much as we will name what part of the Trinity we're talking about. So when we come to worship, we worship God as He is in His essence. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit share the same essence. They are God. Okay? But there's only one God. So not only do we worship him essentially, which means generally just because he is God, we also worship him personally. Father, thank you for the plan. We, it's in the hymn, right? Janice starts singing that hymn. We, I mean, we're on the road 12 hours past three days. So uh, she starts singing the hymn, um, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. And I'm not even sure that's the right lyric. Oh, the love that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. At Calvary. God the Father drew the plan. God the Son executed the plan. God the Holy Spirit enforces the plan. You following me? You with me? Okay. And, and, and so we, we kind of want to stay away from the Trinity because we don't understand it. So we don't want to talk about it. Because it gives me a headache. Because I cannot explain the Trinity. I cannot understand the Trinity. Yet I can exercise what I know to be true. God is three persons of one essence and one God. Can't explain it better than that. Well, is it three different individuals? Yes. So there's three gods. No, there's one God. Well, wait, you just said there were three. No, there's one. Well, how can one be three? I don't know. How can a man and a wife be one flesh? But that's what God says you are. Right? So we worship God personally as one God and one being. I'll go to the next slide. Sorry, go ahead. Click. 
click again. There you go. He's one God and one being. He is one essence and one substance and three persons. And in the middle, you've written Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is the intra-trinity. There's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, you, you remember in Genesis 2, that great text, it says, Let blank make man in blank image. Let us make man in. And by the way, the Hebrew language, in English we have singular and plural. One or more than one. In Hebrew you got one, two, or three or more. So plural in Hebrew is three or more. And God's name in Hebrew, and, and you know if it's plural by the ending, I am. So a, a, a man who is not a Jew is a goy. G-O-Y means you're a Gentile. That's how we translate it into English. In Hebrew, it's goy. The nations are the goyim. G-O-Y-I-M. God is El. E-L, right? God in the Old Testament, hero Israel, Yahweh, your L is one L, it's Elohim. It's three, at least three. And we only find evidence for three persons in the Bible. So God is three persons, but he's one God. So is Father God? Yes. God, Father, thank you, you are God. Jesus is God? Yes. Jesus, I thank you, you're God. Holy Spirit, are you God? Yes. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are God. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit a it. I'm just, I'll keep saying that. We say, well, the Holy Spirit, it, no, no, he. He is God, a very God. So there's the inner trinity, and we have no clue what goes on in there. But what we do have access to is the fact that he's one God, that he's one being, that he's one essence, that he's one substance, that he's three persons. So there are things about God we can know, but we cannot be in the counsels of God when he says, let us make man in our image. Okay, I, I, I don't want to get too much more into, into the theology of all that. Maybe as we go or some other time we can, we can say more about all that. But, so I want you to look at Hebrews 1.4 and I want to ask you a question. Do you pray, and I'm not saying what is your practice, I'm, I, this is more of a what should you do question. Do you pray on the basis of sanctification or justification? Sanctification means being made holy. Justification means being made, declared innocent. Not that you are innocent, I said declared innocent. So on what basis should you approach God? Right, always. We never approach God on the basis that he made us holy. Okay, and, and, and I've hinted at that enough in sermons and all. And if you didn't know that already, you should have picked that up. Hebrews 1, 4, look at what it says. Again, I'm just going to read it so it's on the tape uh, better. So as I can find the numeral 4 on my page. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Where did I just hear? Somebody, something just, oh. There was some little girl that was 
snatched uh, somewhere. But a lot of people I know were praying for her and putting the word out. And then she was found like in Alabama or something really far away. I think she was kept, snatched in South Carolina and found in Alabama or somewhere further even than that. And somebody just wrote, and I just read it, and I'm not being critical, but they said, oh, thank God in St. Anthony. It's like, well, I don't think he had much to do with it. The dude's dead. You know, St. Anthony is dead. He's still in the tomb. Uh, and St. Anthony may be in heaven. I don't know St. Anthony personally. They never heard his testimony. I'm sure if the Catholic Church thought he's good enough to be a saint, he actually knew Christ, and so I, I understand that. But I want you to see that again in verse 4. Christ has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So when I go to the throne, am I more excellent than angels? Is my name more excellent than angels? No. But whose is? Am I identified with Jesus in his death and his resurrection? See, praying in Jesus' name is more magic words. I come to God as if I were Christ. We just read in Hebrews 2, all that passage, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. We're part of the family. We have an inheritance, yes, as part of it. So, I'll I'll say it, I'll come back to that. The next thing on your page is, look in Luke 10. I, I talk about, Mary and Martha a lot, and I kind of had forgotten about this, and, and so in my restudy of some of this, uh, this, this really spoke to me again, because I want you to see there's a question about Martha that we kind of overlook, and, and, and you know the story, you probably don't need me to read it, 38 to 42, I'm going to read it though, just to, again to put it on the thing. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. By the way, if I ever have my own singing group, that's going to be called Mary Has Chosen. But anyway, that doesn't mean anything. I just like to say that. Um, I love that phrase, Mary Has Chosen. She chose something. Was what Martha was doing necessary? Yeah, I, I know Jesus said only one thing is necessary, so I don't mean it in the sense that he meant it when he said that. But was it needed that Martha get a meal together? More or less, yeah. I mean, if you're going to eat, it was, ne- it was needed. See, the question and the real problem was Martha was not that she worked too hard. That's not the problem. It's okay that she was working hard. I'm sure all the hungry people there were glad she was working hard. The problem or the question about Mary and the real problem is why did her trials lead her to frustration? Why was it that what she was doing for the Lord frustrated her? She was serving the Lord. Mary was serving a different kind of way and Jesus is pointing out to her, 
Mary's chosen the good things. She's paying attention to what I'm saying. She's listening. She's learning. You know, and, and I, I, I just have this idea. I, I kind of idealize Mary, but I got this idea that Mary might have pulled that a lot. You know, she might have been that one that you're like, yes, yeah, she's always just like disappearing when something needs to be done, you know. Martha was doing something beautiful for Christ. And she got frustrated about it because Mary wasn't doing it too. Why did Martha's trial, why did Martha's work, why did what she was being asked to do lead her to frustration? Thank you for the wrong reason. She was not doing it to worship Christ. And so that, and Jesus' point, and he knew Mary's heart better than I can guess. So what I said about Mary was kind of more or less tongue-in-cheek. He knew Mary's heart that she was worshiping Christ. She was seated at his feet listening. And he's like, Martha, I, you know, thanks for the meal. I appreciate it. But you need to do that in a different way. He's not telling her not to make the meal. He's telling her, you ought to find joy in what you're doing. Oh, for real. Go ahead, Ben. Why isn't everybody involved in the hula hoop ministry? Yeah. I'm sorry, it's an inside joke, but it's about the safest thing I could say, hula hoop ministry. Yeah. Oh, you didn't hear her. What, what Janice said is, it plays out sometimes in church where somebody's doing something for the Lord and they get angry because everybody else isn't doing the same thing they're doing. God didn't call everybody to do the same thing. There, I got pastor friends that they're pastor of much larger churches in Calvary. You know, they're, they're, I know a young guy down in Charleston. I mean, his introduction to his sermon are better than my whole sermons. That guy can preach, and he's, he's just sharp. He's a young guy, and I just hate him. I mean, you know, he's just... <laughs> I don't. I, I really appreciate him, actually. He's a very good man. My point is, but God didn't call me to be him. God called me to be me. Now, I don't mean I can, you know, mess up and go, well, I'm just me. No, God wants me to get sanctified after being justified. But when I come to God in prayer, I don't come going, oh, I'm worse than that guy or I'm better than that guy. I come because I'm identified with Christ. And Martha is so frustrated about what she was supposed to be doing because it wasn't a attitude of worship she wasn't so identified with Christ that she was serving Christ um, let, I'm not sure I can say much more about that look, look at Luke at John 16 sorry John 16 it's the next thing on your page John 16 23 to 27. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna read this and you got a big blank under there with a big arrow on it and we'll we'll fill that in in just a second. But just listen to this text first. John 16, 23 through 27. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. I'm sorry. I started at 25, 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Well, let me go to 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. All right, you've got, it should be on your paper, and I know it is. I got this to make sure I'm tracking with y'all. Yeah, you don't have anything there. Um, you know, I fixed that, and I must not have sent it to Katie. Would you click the slide? Yeah, there you go. That's what I want you to have. And, and all that blank, just put that big arrow. You can't read it. I get it now. In verse 23, we're going to stay on the left side of the big arrow there, okay? And I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it before you write anything down. Look at verse 23 of what we just read. John 16, 23. What will we ask Jesus for? In verse 23. So we ask nothing of Jesus. Write that down. (laughs) Ask nothing of Jesus. Verse 23. Not going to ask him for anything. Look Look at verse 24 now. Why will you get an answer to your prayer, according to verse 24? Yep, so you get joy. So write the word joy, verse 24. And then when we do ask Jesus for something... What will he ask the Father for us? Jesus will not ask the Father for us. Verse 26. My middle daughter, whom we were just with the past two days, especially in her younger days, she didn't like to bother people. I'm not sure how to express this. She's shy by nature, but she's one of us, so she does it whether she's shy or not. She just does what she has to do, but she hates it. Remember, I, she's the one I told you they were asked her to sing a solo, and she said they have to be out of their mind. And then God gave them a snowstorm that week, so she told them God had better sense than they did. So she never had to do it. Or no, the, the boards blew up. That's what it was. All the electronics blew up, and uh, she wasn't able to do it. But anyway, she was younger, and she would say, we'd be at you know, McDonald's or a restaurant. They didn't give me my fries. Well, go tell them. No, no, Dad, you do it for me. She did not want to tell them anything. I'm like, you go ask them. Don't ask me to ask them. You go ask them. No, Dad, I can't. I mean, she wouldn't do it. She was just, we, and, and I mean, even as a grown woman, we'd say, Cameron, you need to do so-and-so. Uh, okay, you know, she just didn't want to do it. Well, here, Jesus is saying something similar. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, would you ask Dad? No, not going to ask him. You ask him. That's what he's saying. That's, a, that's the... Modern vernacular, verse 26. I'm not going to ask him, you ask him. 
Okay, I haven't made this point yet, but probably I hope you've made it already in your mind. How many of our prayers are, dear Lord Jesus, we ask you. He said, ask the Father in my name. Right? Yeah. Um, The man I learned this from had a great illustration of that. And I wish I could use his illustration, but it's his and I can't. (laughs) Mine is great, but it does make the point. Um, And you've heard me probably tell this story too. But that same daughter, I was just talking about Cameron. She and Dexter were headed down to uh, Hilton Head. There was a church just outside there in Bluffton. Um, that that they were going to candidate for, for him to be a worship pastor of, which he did for a little while. And so they're going down to, to candidate there. And their car, I wouldn't have driven it to Walmart, much less to Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, and they're going from Wake Forest, North Carolina, all the way down. And uh, so, sure enough, I get a call, nine at night, Dad. Our car's broken down. Where are you? On 95. I know you're on 95. What part of 95? Um, what town are you in? She said, Florence. I said, I got a friend in Florence. Where exactly are you? Well, we pulled off on the exit, and they were at this hotel or restaurant or something. And she was calling me because I had a really good mechanic friend that could diagnose over the phone. And so they wanted to talk to him. And in the meantime, Dexter looked up how to fix it on YouTube. And he fixed it himself just to get to that part of the story. I said, I've got a friend in Florence. You stay right there. I'll call Dell, make sure he can call you, blah, blah, blah. So I did what they asked. And then, and it took a minute. I, I, I didn't have my friend's phone number. And I had to ask another friend of ours on Facebook. Guys, what, the friend that I have in Florence, I had not spoken to him in 30 years. I want you to get that. Hadn't had a word to say to him in 30 years. So our other friend sent me his phone number. Hey, I told Denny that you need him. Here's his number. I called Denny and he answered the phone. Hello, my brother. How can I help you? I said, my daughter is broken down in Florence. She's at sitting such a place on sitting such an exit right off 95. I know right where she is. What's her phone number? I'll call her. Denny had never met her. She wasn't 30 yet, and I hadn't talked to Denny in over 30 years. Did Denny come to our wedding? He was at our wedding, wasn't he? Yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking Denny didn't even know Janice, much less my daughter. So I guess it wasn't quite 30 years, 25 years. It had been a while. And his response was, what can I do for you, my brother? Why? Because he knew my daughter? No. Because he knew me. So in my name, he would have done anything. Now, if a stranger called and said, Hey, I got your number from this dude, and he said, like, you're really helpful, and, like, my daughter's broken down on I-95. Like, who are you, man? (laughs) You know, right? You and I have the privilege of walking into the throne room of heaven before the almighty creator God the Father, Yahweh. And because our brother Jesus, were you paying attention in Hebrews 2? He's not ashamed to call his brother. John says, you can use my name. Jesus, I'm identified with him. I've died with Christ. I've risen with Christ. And I have access to the throne of grace. That's how we pray. That's why we don't go to Heavenly Father. That's why we pause and say, Father, in the authority of Christ, I ask you for this soul, for this city, 
Or as John Knox cried, give me Scotland or I die. And we ask in his name does not mean at the end of the prayer in the name of Jesus. Instituting prayer here in these verses, in verse 27, we will not ask Jesus as a person, but we will ask the Father because he loves us. Now, of course, we can pray to Jesus as God. We can pray the Holy Spirit as God. I'm not saying you can't do that. What I'm telling you is Jesus' testimony to us in John chapter 16 is, you go ask the Father in my name because I'm not going to ask him for you. You ask him. Now, what does that do? The people to whom Jesus is saying this, they've hung out with him for a couple of years at least, right? Actually, about three years already at this point. So they're a little bit familiar with him. And even though he is the son of God, I think occasionally they kind of forgot because they've been living with him. And he, you know, he bled, he ate, he got hungry, he had to sleep. He looked just like them. And he's looking at, and they're kind of, remember when Moses got the law on the mountain and the people said, you talk to God, we don't want to. We're scared to. I'm trying to, I'm mixing a bunch of illustrations. Just keep saying it the same way, same thing, different ways. Jesus now said, no, you come to the Father in the authority of my name. And the veil is rent. We go into the Holy of Holies and we speak to the Father in the power of Jesus. I mean, think about that. An earthly man going into a man-made temple to a man-made box would die if he went in there with sin in his life. That's why they put... A pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, a bell, around the priest's robes. So when he walked, he'd go dingle, 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 dingle. And he carried that blood of the lamb into the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go in there except the high priest. And he goes inside that, that big curtain, that big veil. He goes into it with the blood and he pours it on the mercy seat with the hyssop branch. And he's asking God to forgive the people their sin. And he came in with an impure heart and... <laughs> Boom. He quit dingling. They grab the rope and they drag him out from under the curtain because he's dead. You think you're going to step into the presence of a holy God in heaven based on your sanctification and ask for anything? No. But Jesus himself, it says in Hebrews, having taken his own blood and he walked into the holy of holies not made with hands, but the one in heaven, and put his own blood on the mercy seat and said, there, it is finished. And now, because I've identified with Christ, he says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Man, that's good stuff. (laughs) I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what he wrote. And so we ask nothing of Christ. And God the Father is going to give to us in the name of Christ so our joy will be full. That really when you get a hold of this will stop selfish praying. It will stop, you know, ridiculous claims on television and radio and books. About how God wants to bless you and make you healthy, wealthy and wise. And make your teeth glow and your children handsome and beautiful and smart and rich and all that stupid stuff. No. So that we might win the nations to him. He empowers us and gives us access to the throne of heaven. If God wants you to have that, he'll give it. But it's not a... The father gives the gifts he wants to give. And so I don't have to ask him for them because he's going to give them to me. I can say, give me what you want me to have. That's fine. But I don't need to ask for what he gave Doug or what he gave Kirk. Or, you know, or what he gave Sherry. 
I just, give me what's good for me and use me in bringing the nations in subjection to your feet. God goes, hey, that prayer I can answer in the name of Jesus. Not because I can go to his throne, but because Jesus can go to the throne. And so there it is, the next thing on your paper. Intercession is not begging. Intercession is not begging. I know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Janice was reminding me of an illustration. Um, I, I, I put it on Facebook, and I, I, if you follow Facebook or see me on there, you might have seen it. And, and I put it on there for two reasons. The guy telling the story is the guy I was describing. He's a pastor in Charleston, and that he's really smart. He's really young, and, he, you know, he's smart. He's got more brains than a little finger. I got my body. He's just one of those really good, good, good guys. And, and I adore him. He's my sister and brother-in-law's pastor. He's a great dude. Uh, Pete met him, little blonde guy, and uh, he's really, really a, a, a great guy. Well, uh, my my friend, my buddy Trey, that you hear me talk about, his aorta exploded one day, and uh, his health's not great, and he was trying to plant a church that kind of failed, and he's gotten to where he was working for his uncle, uh, doing something for construction, and miserable, because that's not God's call in his life, and that guy gave him a job. He, he developed a job for him at the church so that he could... Um, get back into serving the Lord because he recognized his gifts and all that, and he, and he did that. So I'm grateful to that man for blessing my friend. But in that illustration, he says, me, so-and-so, and Trey went to Chick-fil-A. And so I was like, oh, so now you hear somebody else. But he's telling this story, and I don't even know the other guy's name. And I know we have Rick's in the church. Well, I'm calling him Rick because for some reason I think that's what he said. He goes, Rick, Trey, and I went to Chick-fil-A. And he said, they all ordered. He said, I ordered a sandwich, a salad, because that's what I like. Trey ordered a sandwich. He said, Rick ordered a dozen grilled nuggets because he's trying not to eat carbohydrates. So, you know, the coating on the fried chicken, it's got carbohydrate. So he orders the grilled nuggets. He ordered a dozen. He said, we get to the table and we all start, you know, we say our blessing. We start eating. He said, I look over and it looks like Rick is just playing with his food. And he said, in a second, he went, they only gave me 11 nuggets. He said, what? They only gave me 11 nuggets. And he said, okay, you know, well... So what? And he goes, well, I'm going to get my 12th nugget. And it's like, he said, if it were me, I just, he said, I've never counted my nuggets. I just eat them. You know, he said, I figured maybe next time give me 13. Big deal, you know. He said, he grabbed the little Chick-fil-A worker and said, excuse me, I ordered 12 nuggets. I only got 11. Would you bring me one more nugget? And they said, sure. He said, the manager came out and gave him 12 more nuggets. <laughs> he said, he got 23 nuggets. And then he looked at this, he said, because Rick wouldn't settle for less than most promised. He said, how many of us in prayer settle for less than was promised? You want a big, beautiful home and a car and a boat? How cheap? How cheap? He has given us the world. And just like the children of Israel, I've already given you the land. I mean, you got to go fight for it, but I'm going to give it to you. we got to fight for it. We have to get out of these walls and start telling people about Christ to bring the world in subjection into Christ's feet. But because we are part of Christ, we are fighting alongside of him for the world. And to settle for riches of this world is cheap compared to the glory that will be revealed one day. 
of who he is and that we could be a partner in him. Thank you for that illustration. Reminder, my baby. So John 14, intercession is not begging. We're not begging. God promised it. We are just getting what he promised. The cross intercedes for us. Look at verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice what he is saying there. He says, I'm going to the Father. Verse uh, uh, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, in my authority, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice the purpose of the prayer. His cross intercedes for us. His cross gets between us and God. And he's saying that on the, on the cross, Jesus won our access to God. I've already said it and illustrated it. I just want to repeat it. God answers prayer in Jesus' name to bring glory to himself. Now, if God will be glorified by you being rich, he'll make you rich. If you use that money to glorify him, and I've seen guys that do that. Some of our uh, Christian athletes, they take their salaries, they give chunks, huge chunks of it to, to great things. And they glorify God in doing it. And they talk about God about doing it. But understand that on the cross, Jesus won our access to God. That is the price of you and I being able to say, Dear Heavenly Father, is Jesus on a cross. This is not... If you're like me, I grew up in church. I've been praying since I could talk because my parents taught me to pray. They, they pray, they get us to pray... And when you've been praying that long, you just start thinking that's just something you do. And we forget what it cost us to be able to do it. Sort of like this building. I don't know who paid for this building. Maybe some of you in here paid on the bill to build this building. I come in, hit the switch, lights come on, it's air conditioned, it's heated. There's places to sit, there's microphones, all this stuff. I didn't have anything to do with paying for any of this, but I get to use it. Now, it'd be kind of crazy of me to come in here and think like I own it. (laughs) I don't own anything, right? This is a privilege given to me by you to get to use this microphone and all this stuff, right? We get heaven because of what Jesus did. Not because of what I did. Not because of my glory. Not because of my sanctification. Not because I've gotten good. Not because I've preached for him. Not because I prayed to him. Not because I give money to him. Not because I, I, I got a child that's a missionary. Not because my, my other children uh, serve the Lord. Not because... I married a beautiful woman, and nothing good that I've done. That was the greatest day of my, the greatest job I ever did. The greatest day's work, talking to her and to marry me. But anyway, still can't believe it. But <laughs> I didn't do any of this stuff. God does for us, right? And if I go to God, going, "Hey, Lord, man, I've been preaching for you." Yeah, Calvary lucked up, man. When they found me, woo. God's going, what is your problem? Pow, you know, you are an idiot, man. I don't know if God calls us man, but anyway, you know, that's stupid. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. We go to God because of what he did for us. And on, and it just blows my mind that he provided it. And then he encourages us and asks us to use it. We're going to be getting into that next week. How much is available for us to use? So. In class now, turn to Hebrews 10. (laughs) 
I just wrote, read and understand Hebrews 10, 1 through 24. Somebody tell me, uh, let's start in the early verses. Somebody tell me what's some of the first truths you see there. What's, how does it open up in verse, uh, verse 1? Law is a shadow and, yeah, it's, it's powerless. It has no power except to condemn, right? Right. The sacrifices can't take away our sins. Um, Yeah. Those don't please him. Those sacrifices don't please him. Um, Let's uh, look down. What do those sacrifices do? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, what, what, do those, what do the sacrifices do in verse 5? Look at, look at, look at verse 5. Or, I'm sorry, I, verse 3, sorry. Sorry, my, I'm telling you, my eyes are blurry, I don't know why. Verse 3, I'm sorry. Yeah, they remind us of sin. So... You go take a, a you know a lamb or whatever you took to to sacrifice, and it just reminded you that you're a chowderhead, that you're no good, you're you're a sinner. All right, because it's impossible, verse four, for those sacrifices to take away our sin. So, verse five. Consequently, when Christ came, and there's there's uh, he said, I came to do your will. And the scroll of the book is written about me. I've come to do your will, O God. So look at verse, uh, verse uh, well, verse 8 is the one that says, God didn't even desire, I mean, he instituted those sacrifices, but it means that's not what he wants from us. He doesn't want us to give him those kinds of sacrifices. Verse 9 says, I've come to do your will and to do away with the first and establish the second. So Jesus is the only one who perfectly did the Father's will, right? That's the pivot in, this, in, in these verses. You got these sacrifices, it's the law, all it can do is condemn. You bring your offering of sacrifices, but all it does is remind you that you're going to have to do it again next year. When Janice and I were first married, I was wanting to watch the Super Bowl or something, and she said, oh, do you have to watch that? I said, but honey, it's the championship game. She's, I said, whoever wins this game is going to be the champion. She said, I thought they decided that last year. I thought it was a great statement. I mean, she literally said that because I've never forgotten in 30 years. I was like, you know, that's a great perspective. That's what he's saying here. I, didn't you do that last year? Yeah, but it's not good enough. You got to do it again this year. And again and again, because it was the shadow. It was like, don't look at this, look at that. And the Jewish people got so involved in the sacrifice, they didn't look at the point of the sacrifice, which there was coming a perfect sacrifice. So verse 10 <laughs> which you ought to mark, memorize, make sure you know where it is. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all people, once for all my sin. All right, trick question. Go ahead and warn you, it's a trick question. When you came to Christ and asked Him to save you, forgive you, whatever... How many of the sins of your entire life did he forgive at that point? 
So why do you go and ask forgiveness for sin that you did today? No, because you don't believe he forgave them all already. It said confess your sin. It doesn't say ask forgiveness for your sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, which means agree with God, I shouldn't have done that, he's faithful and just forgives our sin because he's already faithfully and justifully done it. So I don't go and get forgiveness, I've got forgiveness. I go and acknowledge the forgiveness and tell him, I get it, I messed up, I need your help not to mess up. Okay, just, just a fine point, but we're not, again, we're not praying from a defeated position which is going to come later on. One of the titles is praying with confidence and with personal sin. We all have sin. And so we, how do we deal with sin? We go before a holy God in the name of Christ into the holy of holies of heaven. How in the world do you deal with that sin, that conscience, that attitude? Christ has forgiven us once for all. All my sins are forgiven. Look at verse 11. How often does the priest do it? Day after day after day. Daily, Right? When Jesus did it in verse 12, what did he do? But then what did he do? That's what the judge does when he comes in the courtroom, right? All rise. The Honorable Judge Wapner residing. Judge comes in. He plops down. They say, all right, you can sit down. You can't sit down until the judge does. Once the judge sits down, what does it mean? Court's in session. Jesus died to forgive you, pay for your sin, Rose from the dead, went into heaven. He put his blood on the mercy seat, and he sat down. Court's in session. You got a problem? Take it to it. Take it to the to the judge. Your lawyer's sitting right there. In verse um, fourteen, uh, thirteen. What do you see? What did he? What uh, What is Jesus doing now? He's waiting until what? How is Jesus making his enemies his footstool? Very important question. I didn't mean to scare you into not answering. (laughs) How is is he making his enemies his footstool? Right now, tonight, on what it was today's the date, 18th. On February 18th, 2018, at 726, how is Jesus right now making his enemies his footstool? He's waiting in heaven till that happens. So how is it happening? Let me ask it that way. Not how is Jesus doing it. How is it happening? Yes, through us. Be more, even more specific, though. In the first book, O friend of God, Theophilus... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Acts 1, 1. He began to do and teach. I thought he had already finished, died, resurrected, and gone. And Luke says he began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles when he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them, blah, 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 blah. And while staying with them, he ordered them... To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from hence. Jesus began, the church continues. We are the body of Christ. The head tells the body what to do, and the body does it. 
He is seated in heaven waiting on his body to obey his command. Right? That's, that's right there in verse, verse 13. He's waiting on us to do it. Look, verse 14. He provided, uh, he's perfected all the saints of all time. He has made us perfect. He, is, he has justified us. No more sacrifice to be made. You can't pray enough, give enough, attend enough, read enough, witness enough. He's already taken care of it. Quit trying to pay for your sin. He's already paid for it. No more sacrifice. And so now we have confidence by his blood to go into the holy places where he is. In heaven. I've already described that, but I'm showing it to you here in Hebrews 10. You saw it right there in verse 19. We have confidence by his blood, not ours. In his name to walk into the holy of holies where the glory of God dwells and the smoke fills the temple and the whole earth shakes at his voice. And we go and we say, Daddy, Father, in the name of my brother, Jesus, I come to ask you, Dad, you put us in Stanton. And you put us in a body here called Calvary. We named it after where Jesus died. Calvary Baptist Church. And we read that you want to make the world the footstool of Jesus. And you've given us this section that we call Stanton, Virginia. Would you please give us Stanton, Virginia for Jesus? You think God heard that prayer? Yeah, he did. By the new and what kind of way? New and not a dead lamb on an altar. A new and living. He's alive. We are not basing this on a dead dude. We are basing this on a new and living way. He is our high priest. He is the great high priest. He intercedes for us. Um, In verse 22, um, we've been sprinkled clean. We've been made clean. We hold, so we hold fast our confession. We don't have to doubt. We have a strong confession. And so we need to consider how to encourage each other. Because we get depressed. We get discouraged. God understands that. He doesn't, He doesn't say don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever be depressed. Whatever. He gets it. But He's saying, so encourage one another. Say, look, Jesus overcame. You can overcome. You can make it. You can do it. And so we're living in a rough world. Here's what you need to do. Grab somebody close by using Hebrews 10 and the truths that we've been talking about. Let us, uh, let us pray. I don't know exactly what happened today. I heard it was really good. Um, and, of course, I was not here, so I, I didn't get to witness whatever it was. Um, but what I would encourage us to do is pray that God would give fruit amongst our young people. That, that he would call out some for salvation. Maybe there were some people, uh, kids here that need to be saved. That he would call some of them to become workers in his, in his field. Um, and that God would use that to inspire and bring revival to our kids. That they go to their schools tomorrow or Tuesday when they go back. And bring the message of Christ there. That's a specific prayer that I think. God can honor, don't you, that, that our kids become a, a, a witness and a missionary where they go to school. Um, there may be another need, but uh, let's just 
you take turns approaching God. Maybe you got a, a strong need in your life. Um, please email me any prayer requests. I'm going to just, I know this is commercial. I'll say it. I'll, I'll go ahead and finish since I started. I'm, I've got this up here. If you want to write something down on that, you can. Um, we'll take care of all that stuff later. Let's go, let's go to prayer. Our Father who has called us all uh, into your family, we bow in your presence in the name and the authority of our brother Christ Jesus who died on a cross to pay for our sin. And so we come in the, his name. He told us in John that we could use his name to approach your throne. And Lord, we have a bold request, bold to us, that, that you would bring uh, Stanton to yourself, that you would use us to win Stanton to yourself, that you would use us to bring revival to this area. And uh, that, Lord, indeed, even that you would use our teenagers to do so, that our kids would be so excited about you, they would just spill out and uh, with their friends at their schools and wherever they go, and they would begin to be a bold witness for you. But Lord, we have to stop ourselves and say that if you used another church that doesn't use the same names that we do, uh, they're, they're not called Baptist or they're, they, they worship a different way or they do something different, but they, but they follow in your word and you would use them to do that, Lord, we will rejoice and we will be so excited and we will never be those who will be jealous and angry, but rather we will praise and worship the Father who has answered our prayer just using someone else that we did not expect. But Lord, we are selfish enough to ask that you use us. And that Lord, if you do use us, that we would neither be the kind that would tell others that they cannot join in in the work of God, but that Lord, we welcome all those who desire to know and to do God's will. And so, Lord, we, we don't know how to pray exactly right. We thank you, Father, that not only can we come to you in the authority of Jesus, but also he has won the power and the right to tell the Holy Spirit to interpret these prayers in a way that we should pray them. And so, Father, we worship you. We worship you, Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We worship you, Holy Spirit, whose name we do not know. But we thank you that you are God and that you dwell with your people and you empower the church to do the work of God. And that you glorify Jesus in, through us and in all things that you do, enabling us. Help us this night to go out of here refreshed and renewed and encouraged that we don't come to you with sacrifices of dead animals remembering our sin but we come with sacrifices of praise remembering our living Lord and thank you Jesus for that amen a um, couple of quick things I tell you about that there was an orange sheet going around it should have your name on it if it doesn't put your name on the back check you were here if your name is on it if not please just put your name on stuff on the back and we, we want to add you to the role um let me just give you another hint about praying. When you pray, because I'm, I'm saying the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I hope you hear me when I pray, I'm acknowledging each person of the Trinity as I say my prayers out loud. And, and let that be in your mind and, and help it as you are praying more and more. 
at home that you're talking to the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's just sort of the general way that in which God works. So um, continue to pray for our kids and, um, you know, uh, go, with, go with God's peace, I guess. Amen.